Welcome to the PKN Podcast, where we give you the wrap on all things packaging. Welcome to the PKN Packaging News Podcast. My name's Grant McCarran, and once again, I'm joined by Linda Hewson, Managing Editor and Publisher of PKN Packaging News and the host of this show. G'day, Lindy. How are you doing today? Oh, Grant, I'm really good today because I've got some exciting updates to share. My packaging reporting year started off on a really positive note with a launch event to announce a new three-year partnership between meal delivery platform Uber Eats and Australia's peak environmental group Planet Arc. Now, we're going to learn more about this partnership and the $13 million investment that comes with it from Planet Arc CEO Rebecca Gilling, who joins us in the studio today. Welcome, Rebecca. Thank you so much for having me, Lindy. Now, let's start at the beginning. How did this relationship between Uber Eats and Planet Arc develop? We were approached by Uber Eats to help them to get more sustainable packaging into their supply chain. Uh, You probably know that they have 55,000 restaurants on their platform and they have millions of users every month uh, using the service. So we saw this as an unequaled opportunity to really have an influence in, in the supply chain from end to end, really, effectively. And one of the things that we noted when Uber Eats approached us was they'd already committed to having a um, an opt-in button on their platform for single-use cutlery. So we felt quite strongly that they were showing all the signs of being a company that was really committed to sustainability. So really putting their their money, walking the talk as such, putting their money where their mouth is. Um, Now, I do know that prior to this announcement, you had already collaborated on a framework that um, was developed by Uber Eats or or Planet Arc was consulted. So it was developed for Uber Eats rather by the University of Technology, Sydney's Institute for Sustainable Futures. What did that framework um, involve? So that was work that Uber Eats commissioned the Institute for Sustainable futures to put in place to really identify what types of packaging on the market were the most sustainable and which ones should be avoided. And they identified them in terms of a traffic light system that then could be applied to the restaurants so that they could see quite clearly which sorts of packaging were the best in market and which ones should be avoided. So at this time in um, our market where it's going to really be a pivotal year for packaging the next couple of years, apart from the huge reach that Uber Eats has, why do you think this partnership is so important? We know that consumers and businesses alike are really exercised about the issue of sustainable packaging. Uh, consumers hate having to put uh, packaging into the waste bin. Uh, we know that uh, the federal government is committed to legislating the sustainable packaging guidelines. Uh, and so we, we recognize that the, the field is really fertile for making this sort of change. And as I said, the opportunity to reach such a wide network at both ends of su- the supply chain really underlines how important this partnership is. Now, coming along with the partnership is a $13 million injection of funds. How will this funding be used? 
Uber Eats plans to use it in a number of ways. Firstly, as part of the education program for both restaurants and consumers at the other end, but also as an incentive to small and medium businesses in their supply chain to make that switch to more sustainable packaging. We know that there is a a cost premium for those sustainable uh, packaging choices. And so the Uber Eats uh, $13 million fund will help to bridge that gap for small to medium enterprises. What are the obstacles to restaurants' uptake on sustainable packaging, Rebecca? The obstacles are obviously cost, as I mentioned, and that's why this $13 million fund is such uh, uh, provides such an opportunity. But it's also lack of in, uh, education. Uh, really, that's what Planet Arc is all about, is educating people about making better choices. And restaurants are... Um, simply at the behest of what's available on the market, uh, are often uh, operating rather rather blind. And that's why the packaging framework, the sustainable packaging framework, is going to be such a useful tool to them. Um, on the consumer side, uh, we know that consumers spend less than 10 seconds on average uh, trying to decide what to do with Uh, packaging with different types of packaging. And so that's why we developed the Australasian Recycling Label in conjunction with APCO, the Australian Packaging Covenant Organisation, to provide that information on pack in a simple way that is immediately recognisable and uh, is able to be understood. So the ARL will be available on the packaging that ends up in the consumer's hands. Oh, that is really good news to hear because I was thinking how many times with a takeaway container will just arrive and you don't know is what you know is this compostable? Is this recyclable? What what must I do with it? And I do think that, um, and I'm someone who's in the know, so that there is still a lot of consumer confusion out there. In your view, Rebecca, do you think there's there are enough sustainable packaging options available for the fast food or the food services sector? I think there's plenty of choice out there. I mean, it's not a a great range of choice, but it meets all needs. I think one of the issues that we're facing, Lindy, is what's what we're calling the demonization of plastic. And we've seen how many restaurants and and takeaway food outlets have switched to uh, fiber-based packaging to try and get it to do what plastic does naturally, which is to provide a moisture and grease barrier. Uh, At the same same time, uh, much of that packaging, as we've uh, found ourselves from testing that we've commissioned, actually contains a layer of PFAS to try and get that fibre-based packaging to do what plastic does naturally. So that's one of the issues that needs to be addressed. The other is around compostability. We know that uh, uh, there is not enough infrastructure around the country to deal with compostable packaging uh, in most places. South Australia is really the only state that has proper composting capacity for that Uh, compostable packaging. Nonetheless, consumers who think plastic, all plastic is bad, uh, think that compostable must be a better choice because it's plant-based. So until we've got that infrastructure uh, more widely available and we can really ramp it up, we're going to have a problem with compostables either uh, being uh, contaminating the recycling flow uh, with stuff that can't be dealt with at the recycling centres 
or it's going to end up in landfill anyway, so it's effectively a single-use item. So that brings me to my next question, which is clearly um, an area that needs, is, is the role that education is going to play in this in guiding um, restaurant owners to make the right choices based on knowledge that consumers may or may not have? Education is key, uh, but we know also that education on its own is not enough. Just giving people information is not enough. Uh, so the incentive scheme that Uber Eats has put in place for the restaurants is going to be another important piece of that puzzle. Uh, but finally, yes, giving people the information in an easily digestible form like the ARL is going to make that job much easier. Now, Uber Eats, as you mentioned, has about 55,000 restaurants on its platform. I'm, I'm curious, you may not know the answer to this, and that's quite okay, but I'm curious to know how many more restaurants there are in Australia um, that may be outside of the Uber Eats influence. I don't have that information, but what I do know is that uh, Uber Eats, to their credit, uh, is going to make the sustainable packaging framework uh, freely available. So restaurants that are not part of the chain can still use it to improve their own supply chains. Well, that is good news because, and I believe that the Restaurant and Catering Association has come out with a positive response and welcomed this partnership and the information that is going to be coming available. So um, really good news overall, Rebecca. We want to track this, the development of this. So do allow us to have access to any updates that you might have. But in the meantime, I want to talk a bit more broadly. So within the broader context of what is happening in Australia vis-a-vis -vis the pending regulatory framework that you mentioned, what is Planet Arc's position on government's intervention? We're very gratified that the federal government has uh, not only um, taken on board the sustainable packaging guidelines and are looking to mandate them, including mandating some recycled content, particularly in government procurement. Um, we also are delighted uh, that they are looking at product stewardship more generally and have got a, a framework being developed to deal with e-waste. So I think uh, generally speaking, the federal government not only has a commitment to moving towards a, a circular economy, in fact, they've set the ambitious target of uh, trying to get there by 2030, uh, good luck with that, but nonetheless, their hearts are in the right place. Um, so I think all in all, it's a very exciting time to be uh, working in this space. There's a lot going on, a lot going on, as you know, in the soft plastics area, which is another real concern for consumers uh, with the new plant uh, from Close the Loop having come on stream uh, at the beginning of this week. Uh, and I think there's going to be much movement in terms of the collection, processing and reuse of soft plastics as well as all the other types of packaging that we've been talking about. Yeah, it was really good to see you at that launch, at the Close the Loop launch. Now, um, Planet Arc has a longer history with that company, which I thought we might talk a little bit about that because um, Close the Loop, for, for the listeners, is a company that is making use of a recycled soft plastics, now that its line is up and running again, making use of recycled soft plastics plus the I call it the recycling byproduct of recycling printer cartridges. And um, this is a result of a long-standing relationship with Planet Arc when they introduced 
cartridges for Planet Arc as a, as a way of recovering that material. We all know how many toner cartridges we use, how much ink we're using, and all of that has been running through the closed-loop facility with a byproduct that was it's like a powder, a black, a very black powder. <laughs> if I and and then that now gets mixed and it becomes a product called Tonaplas. And Tonaplas is going into asphalt roads around the country, particularly in Victoria right now. So let's talk about Planet Arc's involvement in that. Give us a bit of background there, Rebecca. Steve Morris, then uh, CEO of Close the Loop, approached us back in about 2002 with a crazy idea to, to institute a product stewardship program for printer cartridges and print consumables with a zero waste to landfill promise. Now, we thought that was a bit... Um, uh, overachieving, and we said, "Look, why not eighty or ninety percent?" But uh, no, he was absolutely committed to a zero waste to landfill outcome. Uh, Twenty years later, uh, we know that uh, the uh, they have uh, lived up to that promise. They've found markets, and in fact, developed uh, products to go to market like Tonaplas that use the toner dust from those printer cartridges to produce a product that actually performs better than the virgin uh, material that it's replacing. It, the roads last longer. And the other important piece of this is that uh, that asphalt itself can then be recycled. So some people think putting soft plastics into roads is a dead end. In fact, it's not. It is a part of the circular economy because that asphalt can go back into more roads. The other concern I think people have around soft plastics in roads is that they assume that we're going to get microplastic leakage from those roads. But in fact, the plastic, the soft plastics uh, with the toner uh, bind together to uh, form a stable material that simply does not break down. So the concern about microplastics plastics is misplaced. One of the other issues that people don't focus on is the amount of rubber from tyres that actually enters the environment from driving on roads. That's a vastly bigger issue than anything that might come out of, of Tonaplas. Well, I'm glad you made that did that explanation because a lot of people do say, oh, well, that's just downcycling. So that's not circular economy. And I think it is good to clarify that because of the durability of the road and because of the ability of asphalt to be recycled, do they actually recycle asphalt though? I don't think it's been around for long enough uh, to, uh, well, certainly with the Tonoplast because these roads last such a long time. But it is my understanding that um, asphalt in many circumstances is currently uh, gathered when roads are repaired and reused and recycled. Uh, it doesn't happen all the time, uh, but there's because there's often uh, not much incentive to do that separation. But certainly that's what we've got to see more and more if we transition to a circular economy. Well, we do look forward to other soft plastic recycling facilities coming on stream. We know that those are, we're looking more like 2025 on some of those. And, um, but there is, there is movement. There is certainly people making a tremendous effort to find a solution for the soft plastics. Let's call it a, a crisis, but we, we, you know, we won't be dramatic about it, but we do have that stockpile we're still trying to deal with. And, um, we use a tremendous amount of soft plastics 
through the packaging stream, never mind in other ways as well in our industry. So yes, all round good news there. Well, Rebecca, we're bringing the conversation to a close now, but just before we go, I did note that Planet Arc has recently released a report on circularity in Australian business. Can you tell me a bit more about that? This is the second iteration of the circularity in Australian business research that we've conducted. What we've uh, ascertained from that research is that uh, a, a very high proportion, I think it's around 80 to 85% of the businesses we surveyed, regard circular economy as either currently important to their business or will be in the future. So uh, we know that uh, more and more businesses are really coming to understand the importance of circularity for their businesses. What we also uh, ascertained in the first iteration was that people, uh, while they uh, thought it was important and thought they understood what it was about, uh, most of them confused it with just recycling. And we know that circular economy is far more than recycling. In fact, uh, we, we like to think of circularity in the form of the ladder of R's. And it starts with refuse and then reduce and reuse and redesign is, is really important. So a redesign, uh, uh, of, of the way uh, businesses run as well as the way products are produced um, is has a huge impact. Around 80% of the impact of a product is locked in at the design phase. So uh, getting biz- businesses to understand the importance of redesign both of their products and of their business models. Uh, This was one of the other things that we addressed in the research was the availability of different sorts of business models, Uh, things like product as a service. So for consumers, instead of owning the thing, they can buy the use of the thing or borrow it or loan it, uh, lease it, whatever. Uh, There are many ways in which we can reduce the material flow uh, through through uh, circular principles. And these were some of the issues that we were starting to address in the research. But certainly people can go to the uh, website, which is acehub.org.au, and they can download both versions of the report. Thanks, Rebecca. We will also include that report link in our show notes for this podcast. And well, that brings us full circle. Thank you very much for joining us today. It was a great pleasure. Thanks, Lindy. Well, thanks, Rebecca. Thanks, Lindy. And of course, thanks to our audience for joining us today. Don't forget, if you enjoyed what you've heard, you can follow us in your favorite podcatcher to ensure you get every episode as they're released. We'll be back in the not too distant future with another informative discussion. But until then, have a great day. The PKN Podcast is produced by Southern Skies Media on behalf of PKN Packaging News, owned and published by Yaffa Media. The views of the people featured on this podcast do not necessarily represent those of PKN Packaging News, Yaffa Media, or the guest's employer. The contents are copyright by Yaffa Media. If you wish to use any of this podcast audio, please contact us via the website or send an email to editor at packagingnews.com.au. You can subscribe to this podcast via your preferred platform and read all the latest news on Australia's packaging industry at packagingnews.com.au. You've been listening to a Yappa Media Podcast.
Southern Skies Media.